Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Lay Foam. In this week's episode, we are actually going to be reviewing the Thai film, Where We Belong. Now, if you're new to the podcast, uh, how this works is four of us film grads come together each week to discuss gems of the cinematic industry. And in every episode, we each get a pick. And Patrick, you're actually the one who picked the episode for this week. And uh, before we actually start, I just want to say that I'm your co-host, Richard Lee, and... I'm Patrick. And Tyler. I'm Kevin. Well then, what do you know about Finland? Well, I don't know, but it's probably cold. And why did you choose Finland? I just picked anywhere to get away from here. Come on, who would let you pass with an answer like that? But you told me to tell the truth. I simply told you to be yourself. Some truths don't have to be told, right? So, be myself. But don't say everything I think. Okay. Can we try again? So, Patrick, you picked this film. Um, Do you want to introduce us as to why you picked it? Mm Mm-hmm. Let me see. uh, One of my interests, once I get to know someone enough, I'll share with them, is the fact that I I sometimes get in, like, waves a couple times a year, two or three times a year, of, like, I'll go to my website with all my lesbian manga and I'll just read the series I haven't been keeping up on or I'll just find new series and just the whole in general the contemporary queer cinema it's such an interesting thing to me on the outside just to see like the more just to see like it's it reflects the dynamics of our culture and like we've become more accepting but at the same time there's a bit of a the pessimist in me views like some of the corporate hijacking of like the signs, signifiers, and all the meaning of that community for their own purpose. And uh, the way I found this film was I was just the way I found this film I was just uh, on a torrent website browsing the sections. It's like torrent. A, I was on a. I was in a public library looking at all the posters of these films I wanted, and I had a certain rating threshold, so I so to filter out some of the other stuff. Oh, I didn't know they had rating systems now in libraries. Oh yeah, it's like it's like the top picks from the employee the library. Oh, so oh, so it was recommended by okay. Yeah, that's like oh yeah, like Kevin's picks and all that. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, it's like Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. But so yeah, this I, this I saw this cover, and from the the cover, it's very it's a bit hypersexualized. But I saw it was a foreign foreign film. The cover appears to be about LGBT 
themes and it was a high enough rating where I was like, I got to check this out when I sit down and watch a film every day for a month. I downloaded it like a month or two before I actually sat down and watched it. And uh, it was probably one of the top two of that month of films. I just thoroughly enjoyed the film and it surprised me and the depth of its message as well as the cultural and nuanced differences of the filmmaking. And I don't think I've seen any other Thai, Thai film. This is probably the first and only Thai film I've seen and it was such a good one. Yeah, and it's the first Thai film on our podcast. And it is written and directed by uh, Kondish Jodaran Razmi. Hopefully I'm saying that right. I know that um, uh, Thai names are very long and hard to pronounce. So I'm going to, well, we're all going to try our best to um, pronounce it uh, properly. But yeah, um, some background info is that the film casts um, some pretty famous uh, Thai pop stars. They're from a Thai group called BNK48, and the two leads are from that group. And uh, I'm going to give a quick synopsis of the film. Um, it's the last week in her hometown of Chantaburi for Sue before she goes ab abroad to study on a scholarship which she accepted without telling her father. For Sue, who has never been ab abroad before, packing her luggage is a major thing. With the help of her friend, Belle, Sue makes a list of things she has to do before leaving. They find that there are many things to be done. Here are some of the things on Sue's checklist. So yeah, what you were saying earlier, Patrick, uh, when I looked up this film and I saw the posters, I thought, same as you, that it was going to be some uh, lesbian romance, which is fine with me. I'm, I'm fine with watching a film as long as it's a really good film, but it's not like that at all. I think the posters are incredibly misleading. They're very, um, I'd say, sensual or like kind mm. of stylized. Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, but I think that has to do with the the two leads and how they're pretty iconic from Thailand. So that probably has something to do with it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Sex sells. That's what I was going to say. Sex sells, for yeah. sure. <laughs> there's, there's, like maybe we can make a couple extra thousand if we have this cover. Yeah, There's a more nuanced... <laughs> you know? there's a, yeah, there's more nuanced... There's like <laughs> one more nuanced poster for the film that's just like the scene at the ocean from above. And even then, that one's pretty... That's, like, one of the most intimate moments of the film. But the other ones, like, yeah, the characters... I think Belle's character, she looks completely different in those posters because she's... The makeup's so heavily done. Her hair's done different even, I think. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. Well, it's not like the posters are of them in, like, lingerie. Or oh, Like, no. they look very, like, sexual and everything. It's just, like... Yeah, so like you said. It's a strong... Very intimate. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're... Yeah, they have a lot like of you think you're gonna see something like that in the film, and there's absolutely nothing. I mean, other than the beach scene, but that's not. It's not the vibe the poster gives off. Yeah. yeah, like I I watched the movie before I saw the posters for it. When I mean, because whenever we do like the posts on our like social media and stuff, like that's when I usually like look up the posters. And as I was scrolling through them, I was so confused. I was like, <laughs> none of this. Like, I don't know. It's just so mis. It doesn't represent 
the heart of the story at all. If anything, um, as I was watching the movie, I was cognizant of, of the uh, just how close Belle and Sue actually are. And at times, I in my own head, I'm like, oh, well, are they going to end up together? Because their relationship is that bound to one another in it. And then seeing the posters, I was like, okay, that's why. <laughs> I could see what they were going for with the posters, but... Yeah, part of me does wonder, I mean, Richie, the fact that, like, you looked into um, the some of the more context surrounding the movie, like, that does make a bit more sense. Um, definitely showing the star power of, oh, hey, we have these two actresses, and, you know, you should see this movie because they're in it, like, that sort of thing. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but, yeah, overall, the movie itself, I had no idea what to expect going into it. I just turned it on and I was immediately taken aback by the pacing of it. It's, uh, this is the, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a trend that I've noticed in a lot of uh, Asian filmmaking is slow cinema. And I genuinely really enjoy that type of filmmaking because it, it also reminds me of a bit of um, Eastern European filmmaking as well in like the 60s and 70s and stuff. Of, taking its time to build up like a world and atmosphere but with this one it felt very fresh and very invigorating because not only was the music on point like for oh yeah almost the entirety of the movie i that was actually one of my favorite aspects of it like you could tell that the music was crafted with the story in mind to hit all of those necessary beats and i didn't find myself um out of tune, or I didn't I didn't hear any out of tune notes in the story itself, as as well as the um, the story, just because it was it was just all so harmonious, and I just found this to be a very eloquent movie, even dealing with the the subject matter that it was talking about and the general malaise that was surrounding the characters in this very very microscopic community that is set i mean it's basically what you see is what you get with this community like there's there's nothing else to aspire to there's nothing else to um achieve because there's systems in place to prevent you from doing that um so i think that that atmosphere definitely permeated it throughout the story as well which drove all the emotional beats all the more home for me and I really enjoyed this movie. <laughs> Glad you did. And I also wanted to add a quick aside that the um, the person who did the music is Kandish Jitaran. Really? Yeah, so he did the oh music as well for the wow. film. What a um, virtuous... Oh, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, it was him and... Um, hopefully I'm not, I'm not going to be saying it wrong, but um, it is uh, Tanachai Ujin. So... Both of them collaborated on uh, composing the music. And, you know, I just want to get better, like, pronouncing everyone's names and to mention the, the writers and the editors. And, you know, because I know we talk about cinematography and music mm -hmm. and stuff, but we don't really, like... Drop names. Drop names or mention them. And I think that uh, I want to... I just want to do that more. You know? Sure. Get more context and give everyone credit. Um, yeah. Kevin, you touched on something which was one of the takeaways. Where like, yeah, I I picked the film thinking it was a coming of age lesbian film, 
from Thailand, and I got a extremely contemporary, like one of the most contemporary films I can think of, and like it's meaning the message and the way it's done. It's just yeah, I'm like. It's so good and it's so relevant and it's so like a deep psychological window that even like it serves as like a unifying factor of like I have never seen a Thailand film I've never been I don't I know very little about Thailand but here's this film that made it to me that just resonates so deeply with me is like oh we're clearly it just reaffirms like we're all humans we're all experiencing the same feelings even how removed and different our societies and cultures can be. Mm-hmm. I got that same vibe. Like I was like, it's like the existential crisis, and I'm just like, all right, cool. <laughs> With someone halfway across the world, they don't gotta do the same shit, you know. <laughs> Makes you feel a little better. Uh, didn't we watch though? Was it Rebels of a Neon God? Taiwanese? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's, no, that's Taiwanese. Tai- it's Taiwan. Taiwan. Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Taiwan. Taiwan. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Gosh. I did not expect, like, just watching that, I was just, I did not, like, I was bawling at one point. Like, I think this movie, out of all the films we've done so far, uh, I definitely cried the most in this one, which is kind of crazy. Like, same. Because I feel like we've watched some pretty heavy shit. (laughs) But for some reason, just like, yeah, the way uh, it was presented just, like, hit so hard. It was very candid. That's for sure. Yeah. And, yeah. One of the... It does... Is it... Is it a bait and switch? A bit? I saw a review somewhere online of someone saying, like, oh, this is queer bait. It's, like, it's meant to lure you in with a... You think it's a film about a coming-of-age lesbian story, and it's not that at all, and the film should be admonished for that. I was like, I think it's... I didn't feel like I got bait and switched at all. I, I didn't think so either. Like, even after looking at the posters and stuff, it's... I don't know. I I guess that that brings up, like, a very important subject of uh, marketing in terms of, you know, what sort of stories you're going to be presenting to people in theaters and whatnot. Um, I forget that there was, like, a... Oh, there was a movie, uh, Hard Days... Or uh, Long Day's Journey and Tonight, which was marketed as, like, this insane, like, beautiful, like, romantic movie... And then, like, when people went to the theaters and stuff, they were so mad at the filmmakers for, you know... Because that was a bait-and-switch. Like, it was an intentional one. Like, they did that purposely. Yeah, most most of the box office came from that first weekend, and then everyone mm -hmm. was like, no. Yeah, they're like, no. Seeing that movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was a huge drop-off. Yeah. That marketing was, was pushed for that first weekend, and once everyone saw it, it's like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> but like with this movie though, I didn't get that at all. I mean, sure, it might have been suggested in the posters and stuff, but I don't. I mean, I I wasn't around. I mean, I wasn't aware of this movie when it was first coming to theaters and it was first being marketed. Um, so I'm not entirely sure what it might have been like. But just from <clears throat> watching the movie and then seeing the posters afterwards, I sure it might have been suggested, but I'm not going to hold it against it. Because the movie itself stands on its own. Maybe this is my insider knowledge, but I've read series where people get upset if the couple doesn't get together at the end. Oh, the oh, fan service and those, stuff? Or it's just, it was, all, it was all a waste of time. The two never hooked up. The, the, it's about them growing and their friendship. And that's, I got, 
there's undertones maybe if you want to read into it, but the film is about, and maybe it's a cultural difference, but like the deep connections yeah. their society fosters between two female friends where it's like, I wish I've only, I, in our culture, I can only picture being that close to like a sibling or like a child. Like you're, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we're, the film is, you know, it's from Thailand. Yeah. So like they are marketing from Thailand. They're not marketing to us as an audience. So, uh, it's like when that one movie came out, uh, this is the end with like James Franco and Seth Rogen and all those guys. I think that when they were promoting it, they had very centralized, like very sexual looking pictures of them. Like, I think they were all nude or something, but they're like covered each other up. But it's like, imagine like not being from here and then seeing all that <laughs> oh, promo for that and thinking like, oh, is this going to be like a homoerotic like <laughs> film about these celebrities? But it's not. Um, I believe that's what, I think I saw that on a magazine or something. And I'm like, whoa, they went really risque with this. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think that since we're not being the target audience, maybe that's why. And there are two very famous, um, stars from Thailand, like from a music group. So I think, yeah, I think that's a pretty big distinction for us. I'm, I'm talking more about like in the film, in the film, it's like not the marketing materials, but the film, their relationship in the film, it's not like a, it's not a, like a intimate relationship. It's not a relationship in like girlfriend, girlfriend sense, but the fact it's very platonic. Yeah. But the fact that it's so much like, like their connection is so deep, yeah. their friendship is so strong. And that's like one of those, I think I got like a different cultural vibe like that, right? I've never been that close to a friend like that. Cl- that level of intimacy and closeness is only something I think in the Western culture that's allowed between mm-hmm. siblings or, like a parent and child thing. Well, I had a, I had a pretty good friendship like that. We were really that close. Okay. I'm envious then. Maybe that's why. I mean, I, I, I had the that same in, way, Pat. I had that in high school with a friend who was like my best friend. And, um, yeah, we hung out like every day and we did all that stuff. But, you know, I relate to this film because, you know, eventually like both want to do something else with our lives or we want to like part off and maybe even like, leave where we've grown up our whole lives um but yeah i mean yeah that i could imagine not having that friendship because i don't have that friendship anymore but like yeah i did have something like that and people could make fun of us and think oh they have some kind of like homo relationship it's just no like we're clearly just like really close like that yeah and that's that's the beauty of that was one of the takeaways of the beauty of the film for me it was like that level of intimacy achievable without it being connected to intimate relationships physically. Mm-hmm. I really admired that. Yeah, even just the fact of having someone want to come to your house and be like, oh, well, you can't pack by yourself alone. Like, And they're just wanting to find every single excuse to like be around you and like just, and you with them. For instance, with, like, Sue going to visit, like, Belle's family and, like, watching her, like, take care of her grandma and stuff. And just always being together, like, throughout the day and not thinking anything of it. Like, that's just what they do. Like, I remember there were so many moments as well where I would, like, 
there would be this feeling that would be conjured up within me where I'd be like, wow, is this jealousy? <laughs> is this is this appreciation? Is this or is this just joy at the fact that, you know, this sort of connection is possible between like two platonic friends? And it's almost like a twin flame in a way, because your souls are so entwined that to go on without the other, it's it's almost incomprehensible. Have you guys ever had someone be jealous of your friendship with someone else, like your mutual friend? Yeah, I think that's yeah. where the that's where the, the distinction for me internally is. So I've had like close friends and like best friends, and like you see them every day at school. You always talk to them only, but I never felt like a genuine love for the other person. Like I felt like a deep admiration, but like not like a deep love like for a sibling, like my brother. Like, I'd, I'd lay down my life for him. I wouldn't do that for a friend right away, but I'd, I'd give him a kidney. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so that's pretty close when you give him a kidney. That's close, but like... <laughs> that's really close. Yeah. I'd take a bullet for a brother. I wouldn't take a bullet for a friend right away. <laughs> what the fuck, <laughs> Tyler, <laughs> Tyler, if you're in a diehard situation, <laughs> I'm not coming out in the open. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. I understand. I wouldn't <laughs> want you to do it either. You got, you got a family to take care of. <laughs> So you're talking about taking a bullet and then like below that is a couple tiers down where you can donate a organ. So where's like the in between? I got two kidneys. <laughs> but yeah, that's where I got the vibe of like they take a bullet for each other. So I think so. though, uh, like how you were saying earlier, how like in like Western civilization, like it's that's maybe less more common. But maybe it's only for us. For dudes. I was going to say, I think it's more of like a male thing, like, especially in the stage, it's like, you know, you can never, like, show your affection for, like, your guy friends like that, or else you'll just be, like, ridiculed or, like, overanalyzed, whereas, like, I think females in America, you can do that. Like, I know, I feel like I know girls that are, that are, have, like, relationships, like, as strong as uh, Sue and Bell's in this film. I can see that. But yeah, definitely as like like us, like you and I, Pat, like we can't we can't do that, you know? <laughs> Kevin and Richie are gonna like, give a shit for it. No, <laughs> no, no, no. They won't give us shit for it, but we've been conditioned so hard. Yeah, it's Or you it's, said that and I just pictured it like No Tyler, I can't do that. We're not cuddling no, on the not. beach. Nah, I'd be upset and be like, what do they have that I don't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My, 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 even just thinking about that, it brings up like insecurities in myself that have been conditioned in me. And was like, oh man. <laughs> and then I feel bad and guilty. <laughs> I feel, I'm so prejudiced. Well, I think that those kind of friendships, uh, they develop, I guess, that kind of intimacy happens when you're younger. And I think that when you get older, you kind of get more, at least for me, you kind of get more like insecure about your image. And like, oh, I don't know what people are going to think of me. Because when I was in high school, we only had, like, MySpace. Like, no one cared about MySpace that much. Like, <laughs> you're not going to put everything on your MySpace growing up. And um, for me, I felt I definitely had some pretty good intimacy with my friend group growing up. Um, but I think it's because we were in a really progressive high school where it was all about that LGBT community it was all about that so like 
um, maybe we were just all more comfortable around each other. But um, I don't know. We definitely had sessions where we just all watched videos together, or we just like make some really <laughs> homoerotic jokes with each other. Like, oh, do you guys think I'm handsome? Like, oh, what do you think I could do about myself for like, <laughs> you know, like talk about really some very specific details that like you don't really hear. It's like guy talk in the locker room, you know. Mm. Um, albeit that I don't really have that anymore, but I think a lot of that happens when you're younger. I don't know how that is now, not that we're older, we're all in our 20s and stuff. Uh, yeah. I think you bring up a really good point, Richie, um, in the fact that, you know, these relationships are more akin to uh, blooming more in our adolescence rather than in adulthood. Um, <clears throat> I mean, just in my own case, I when I was younger, in elementary school, I used to have so many friends that were both boys and girls, and anyone and everyone, really. And it it didn't even cross my mind at the time to, like, judge somebody for their race or from their cultural background or anything like that. Um, like, if I saw somebody playing tag, I would want to be friends with that person because I also like to play tag. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I, I always felt, like, really comfortable, like, embodying the entirety of the spectrum of uh, masculine and feminine. So when it comes to, um, like, even, like, some of my, like, guy friends and stuff, like, I feel comfortable, like, telling them how I feel about them. And I, I don't, like, I don't know how that comes to be or, like, how it becomes repressed or any way. Um, but I, I don't know. I think that those friendships are still definitely possible. It's just a lot of the barriers get in the way over time. I think that the awareness of the other and the self creep in to like our psyches to where it creates like this weird anxiety where, you know, whether it's a um, fear of being abandoned, rejected, uh, fear of being betrayed or anything like that. I feel like all of those instincts kick in and it just creates such impenetrable social barriers that we end up judging not only ourselves but others for uh, displaying that sort of open behavior and uh, openness with others in terms of um, voicing your innermost thoughts and feelings towards another person regardless of romantic interest. Yeah, I think that... Um... Yeah, that now that we're older, we don't, <clears throat> like, we have certain things set in stone, and we don't have that level of transgression because we already have the, these boundaries, like you mentioned. We Because we already have, um, I don't know, like, these specific standards for, for what it is to be a close friend or a best friend, um, but there are certain lines you cannot cross, and we don't have, like, that transgression when we're adults um yeah i mean it's hard it's hard to have that kind of intimacy when you get older and i don't know i remember yeah like in my early days high school early days of college like dude my friends would literally like hold me down and like tickle the shit out of me <laughs> We're all, like, adults. We're, like, in our 20s and doing stuff like that. It's just, like, how, I mean, do you guys have that kind of in, 
intimate moments with your friends, you know, it's sometimes it doesn't happen like that. When you make new friends when you get older, who does that, you know? It's kind of, like, childish and it's very playful, but, like, it makes you feel youthful. Like, oh, wow, this is how it feels like to still stay young, you know? Like, little things like that. But now that we're all older, like, we're all, like, sitting very separate from each other. We have all our space and we just talk to a microphone and... It's nothing beyond, nothing intimate beyond that. All, all right, right, all right. Somebody, bet, you know, get his knees, I'll get his arms <laughs> up and tickle him. <laughs> that was torture. We all have a buffer cushion. I've noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can all go to the bathroom and, you know, we all have to leave each other some space in the urinal, you know? <laughs> <laughs> can't pee next to you, man. Yeah. <laughs> Someday we'll all be in a trough at a ball game. It'll be great. <laughs> but no, I think what you're talking about is overcoming those boundaries that, for like, I think that that may be why this genre, even though this film doesn't directly fall into that, that may be why the genre resonates with me. Because when I think back, I growing up, me and my brother, we lived with our uncle for a period, and he had a cousin who was a, a year between us. So essentially the same age group. And I look back and I remember like, oh, he was trying to, that cousin was very effeminate and he's now out. But back then, like he was trying to scare him straight. And then we were getting lopped in with that. We're like, okay, he wants to scare his son straight. So he said, but he doesn't want to single him out and say, I'm trying to scare you straight. I can tell you're gay. You, all three of you guys are going to extra church where they're talking about those bad impulses in you. And <laughs> from a young age, we were taught like, yeah, the masculinity stuff and all the other stuff. And then, yeah, then my, even my junior high and high school experiences was a bit, the parallels like Moonlight where the more effeminate, outwardly spoken gay youths would be, have guys waiting for them after school if they said something they didn't like, even if it was an admiration and I remember like thinking I gotta keep my head down. I gotta just fly into the radar <laughs> because I'm 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 not gay, but like the idea that being interpreted as effeminate is grounds to be beaten up after school. Was okay, I gotta fly real low because I think <laughs> I I don't know. The, a part of it's being brought up with a single mother. This effeminate characteristics you take on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because uh, the main. Well, one of the leads in the film, Sue, like, her, her brother um, has some moments where, like, you do question, like, oh, what, what kind of person is he? You know, he likes to try on um, her panties or, like, her clothes as well. Like, or she got him some, like, panties or something, right? And he was also yeah. trying on, like, some of the clothes that she gave him. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I also thought, like, Belle was going to, like, have a crush on her, too. Just because, like, the way she was acting, I thought, okay, are they trying to stereotype her because of the how she was dressing? Uh, because her... When we get that scene when she hangs out with her mom, her mom is trying to dress her up and make her more feminine-looking. Mm, yes. um, but it turns out she has her own, like, preferences, or I guess... Aesthetic. Uh, yeah, mm. aesthetic, and, like, her own... It's funny because there was a, a a reference of like her having I'm gonna coin the term white fever 
where like she has a refer- um a preference for white men. And I thought that was so funny because I've never seen that before in a film where that was just outright put out there. And um, I don't know if you guys know, but the term yellow fever has always been like mm-hmm. a thing in the Asian community where it's just... Uh, <laughs> so I thought that was very funny that they turned that on its head and say, oh yeah, you know, like, I have white, I have white fever. And, um, See, at first I thought that was a red herring. It's like... I was like at, at first, I took it as like one joke. Like, does your professor did he talk to you after class about how much he loves me? Yeah, yeah, he's gonna yeah. date me, and then, right. but then later on, stuff happens with him a bit. Yeah, because he is, he does come off as like as a foreigner, as someone who's exotic, because he's not a part of that. You know, like he's not originally from that community. You know, um, and he's German, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that was really different. That gives me kind of an insider point of view of, like, how they see people outside of their culture. Yeah, the entire movie, it feels like a a constant back-and-forth game of, of the idea of home, and is it where you are or is it where you want to be? And it's always like this pedantic argument that's being swayed left and right. And you could see, especially even with the with her uh, English teacher, um, like when they're asking him, like, oh, do you think you'll ever go back home? And he immediately is like, flat out, no, I'm never going back there again. And you see this, you see all of these different reactions, not only with like the English teacher, but with everyone inside of Sue's life of whenever this topic gets brought up of her leaving. And some people are in favor of it. A lot of people aren't. I'd probably say like 90% of the people aren't in support of it. And you just see her internalizing all of these different reactions to try and like formulate her own definition of where she can feel comfortable being at home and also defining her own uh, her own version of that term for herself. So what do you guys think about the concept of home? Uh, to... I thought they like nailed it on like I don't know everyone like when you're young everyone has that like age to want to leave home your small town and you know go wherever go to Finland or wherever you want to go and I think a lot of people realize that you know they'll do it and then realize that like their home is where they were before or you know like they made the wrong decision and I think this movie did a really good job of like giving off the sense and showing us like just because you've been in the same place your whole life doesn't mean that's a bad thing. And, like, that is your home. And, um, like, it's it's okay to, to just stay in the same place your whole life. If, you know, if you have people around you that like you and love you and it's something f- familiar, then that's okay. And if you want to go the other way, too, that's fine. And the end of the film, I'll, I guess we could talk if we don't want to get into spoilers yet, but... Not yet. Not yeah. Yet. The end of the film, though, left me 
thinking something different. But I think, like, towards, like, the last half, I was like, okay, yeah, like, this is, like, because I always wanted to do that. I wanted to, like, go, like, live somewhere else, but then I never did, and I stayed out here, and, like, I'm fine with that now. And it kind of, like, not, like, reassured, but, uh, like, I was just like, yeah, I feel like I remember just, like, going through that, you know? helps like remind you of like your own journey yeah discovering that for yourself that's cool yeah i got the i think the pendulum feeling a lot in start i think an hour and 40 minutes is where the first swing to the other way of staying what home is like this can be home here like up until that though i felt like it was a i felt like an inevitable escape for sue where she may be debating it like the logistics but the desire and the need felt concrete until something happens and then the film gets so elevated with that something happening that it goes from like a seven to an eight to like a nine and a half or something. I just thoroughly enjoyed. I didn't get a full back and forth early on, but I did get like one strong swing of the pendulum. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it goes one way for like 10, 15, 20 minutes and then it goes hard back the other way and gets into the real stuff. And that's why I just appreciate it. That's why I, the film feels like it's ramping. It's so slow but it feels like it ramps at the right time. I think that the reason why the film is slow moving is because it is trying to build that story and build that, what it's like for her to live in that community. Um, like her, her friend groups, um, like the environment, like the, the, the restaurant that she works at. Um, they're like wonderful shots of like the food and just like the lush areas that they stay at or like um seeing the dolphins um they're just like really neat locations in the film that i'm just like dang what happened if i live there how would i adapt you know like it's easier for them to adapt to to that community because yeah they grew up there and they um built their family and their friends there and like what you said Tyler like it's not always a bad thing to stay um where you are your whole life but you know for some people maybe even for like Sue like what you said Patrick like it's inevitable for her to want to leave um it seemed like it was I mean from the very beginning I knew like that's what she it's just what she wants some people just want to leave and never come back and that's um that was pretty upsetting. It made me want to do that. I'm like, man, I'm like Sue. I want to do that too. <laughs> like, I mean, a part of me wants to do that. Like, a part of me wants to get rid of, like, social media, get rid of my phone, and just start anew and be like, you know, uh, what if I just save up all my money and just left and then created a new life, you know? But then... That's even harder. Why would you want that life anyway? Or why would she want to do that? She's going to some place that she has no idea, like, how that's going to be like. She's never been on a plane. and She's never had to pack. She had to learn how to pack. That's the beginning of the film is that, yeah, she and her really good friend, Belle, um, helped her learn how to do that. She had to Google it. Um... I myself never been on a plane, believe it or not. Uh, there are plenty of things that I haven't learned how to do yet. 
Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely like relate to Sue and, and that aspect. Like, man, I just want to escape. I don't know where I belong or like, is this where I belong or where are even my dreams? I have dreams, but can they be accomplished here? Like one of the quotes that she had in the beginning when she was being interviewed is like, you know, she doesn't have a, a, a dream currently, but if she were to move to Finland, maybe her dreams could appear for her. Maybe that's when it'll happen for her, but we don't know, right? Yeah. Like, sometimes people do move away and they stay somewhere for a few years and they realize, well, I tried it and it didn't work, you know? Like, we live in a small city, like, I want to move to LA one day, or I want to try out Southern California, but is that really me? I don't know. I already like it here. I already feel comfortable with, like, how will I fare in a big city? Yeah, I think there's, I think we're, we're going to for sure talk about it in the spoilers, but there's one scene right at the end that really hammers home. <laughs> that felt like this, for me, that was the strongest connection to Sue as a character at that film. And that's where, like, the earlier feeling, like, oh, she's going to leave for sure. And then the pendulum swings, and then that scene happens, and it's like, that felt like the window into her perspective and her psyche of like this is what her life is the scene is her life and how she's feeling internally and she keeps it inside herself frequently but she feels like that all the time she's gonna leave and it's just yeah yeah it's so stylized it's not like a confessions or confessions it ramped so early and it kept going for so long. Where this one's like such a slow yeah. build up and it just hits so hard. If you haven't watched Confessions or listened to our review of Confessions, uh, you should definitely do that. Yeah, I think <laughs> about that film at least once a week, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> Love that movie. But yeah, um, I thought the, the performances were really great. Or, for the most part. I feel like some of them were lacking to me. Um, I thought Sue was a very complex and deep character, although I found her very unsufferable. I Just like some of the interviews that she was doing, and it's just like she came off really unassuming and unaware and like had no direction in her life. And I'm like, that was kind of frustrating me. I'm like, I know she's smarter than this or like, I don't know. Um, yeah, she came off very, um, entitled and spoiled to me, and I did not like that about her. But at the same time, she was still very relatable, and I still was able to sympathize with her. Um, I just found her just, yeah, insufferable. Like, I don't know how I could be her friend. I could be, to a certain extent, like, I wouldn't be a close friend with her. It was just like... Eh, but her her friend her best friend or not her best friend but her really great friend Belle was a a really uh, great friend to her. I was gonna say like Sue seems very candid. Where like when she's doing the interview, she's not even thinking the lie. She's like it feels so like what's the purpose of lying? Mm-hmm. Like do you have a dream yet? It's like, I don't know. I just want to leave. Like oh that's so candid and bold. And then yeah, there's parts where she does feel really entitled. But like that's why Belle's. 
Like, I feel the exact same way, but, like, less irritated. I just took it as, like, she's just so <laughs> candid. Where I was like, like, I can't hold that against her, I guess. I don't but then know. when you see Bill compared to her, like Bill's doing all this stuff, it's like Bill's such a good friend. I, she is I need a really good friend. Yeah, I think Bill is the type of like friend we could all could have used. You know, like when we see Sue have issues with one of their friends in their friend group, uh, Mew, which mm-hmm. later on in the film, uh, she sees her from a distance and decides not to go up to her, but the rest of their friends go up to her, and Belle stays with her, and I'm like, that's a fucking good friend right there. Like, <laughs> growing up in high school, I had a best friend, and he did not do that. And I'm like, you know, I can't believe you would be friends with my nemesis. <laughs> I hate nemesis. that so much. It's just like, <laughs> where does your loyalty lie, you know? Like, I can't believe it. But Belle is a true friend, um... Yeah, I really like that about her. She shows that loyalty that you wish you could have in someone. But, like, even Sue (laughs) doesn't want that, which is crazy to me, you know? But, I mean, hey, I can relate to that, too, because I've also been like that. Insufferable. (laughs) (laughs) I think Sue just has no direction in her life because there's this one really good scene where she's out at the meat market with her dad who is in charge of the restaurant and he's trying to like impose on her job even though like it's her last week and she's like why don't you let me pick the good choices of meat like I'm the one who always does it he's like oh well you don't know the good pieces of meat and she's like yeah well honestly like it is the only thing I know because it's the only thing you would let me learn about and I feel like that hits so hard because can only imagine how many people's parents or even families or friends like impose their own agenda onto them and like how they should be brought up how they should live what they should do in life like there's so many moments in my own life where I would tell people like oh this is what I like to do and they're like oh why don't you do this instead it's like I just told you what I like to do like why are you telling me like what I should really be liking and I I feel like in this story, it's elevated to an incomprehensible degree for myself because I feel like it's just the cultural differences of listening to your elders, of, um, of taking care of them as they grow older, and whereas like with our society, it's it's just so normal to send your parents or your grandparents into a nursing home and that way you're like free to do whatever it is that you want and I appreciate the fact that like they do I mean that there is such an emphasis on um on listening to like elders and like taking in their wisdom and stuff but not to the point where it becomes blind um almost like a just a blind ideological uh just, I don't know. I don't enjoy that, though. I don't enjoy how her family and, like, everyone around Sue is telling her what to do. Because I know that if I were in her situation, I wouldn't enjoy that at all. Oh, yeah, the patrons of the shop? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, they're telling her, oh, well, you need to take on your dad's business. 
like, oh, but, and then you have Belle, who's the one who's saying it rather than Sue. Yeah. She's like, oh, well, what makes you think that she wants to do this? Like, you haven't even asked her what she wants. They're like, oh, well, it's the only soup, or it's the only place that makes this kind of soup in this area. It's like, oh, so you're just being selfish and only thinking about yourself. I think our American exceptionalism overrides us and that's like if, uh, yeah that situation you'd be telling them off like, yeah. <laughs> you tell me not to do something I'm about to go do it I'm about to do a, do a tea party but it's like this restaurant but it's like these people are just want they're getting upset at the fact that oh here's somebody who is gonna make me um, lose a distraction in my daily life you know I don't get to have this distraction anymore of going to this restaurant having the same soup that I've been having for 20 years because my because the business owner's daughter isn't going to be there to run the place anymore. It's like, oh, oh, how catastrophic! Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> or even if it is like a tradition of the area, but it's still like she's not. She's studying abroad and she has good grades. Mm-hmm. Or it's like it's clear it's not a direct step up, and it may not be what she needs or wants or helps her find anything or answers. But it's like a unique opportunity not afforded to her peers and friends like bell doesn't have the grades for that yeah when she meets the friends i think only one of them is studying a little bit abroad which is like in another city in thailand i think maybe bangkok i can't remember exactly but yeah it's like unique yeah the fact with it it's not like she's running away from home it's the fact she's studying abroad and it's just even more of like a little like how dare you go to college or something (laughs) yeah yeah and even her dad's unwillingness to sign the documents over to allow her to leave. I found that to be so infuriating because, Pat, you bring up a really good point because the scholarship program in and of itself is like, there's a, it seems like there's a very grueling process you have to go through, especially with the interviews that she was doing with her, uh, or the mock interviews, I should say, with her English teacher. And. <laughs> The fact that, like, her dad didn't find any sort of enjoyment or any sort of pride from the fact that his daughter was selected into this very um, closed-off scholarship program, it just blows my mind. Yeah, it's paying for her tickets and board. She just has to provide for herself, Mm -hmm. like, food and and groceries and necessities. And even her mom, like, left a small sum of money for her to do whatever it is that she wanted to do before she passed away. And her dad just can't come to terms with it. Well, I feel like her father is coming from a place that makes sense to me. Like, I mean, we'll discuss it later on in spoilers, but like, uh, I mean, in the beginning, it's already mentioned that her mother had passed, but we don't know why, but... um, it does affect the reason why her father doesn't want her to go because of similar reasons. There are certain parallels about that. Um, but again, like I think it is because of the distinction of our cultures between mm-hmm. Western and Eastern society. Like we, uh, in their culture, they're living as one community, whereas for Sue, she is tending towards being an individualist than wanting to fuse herself in this community. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with what her father wants. I don't think there's anything wrong with what she wants. Um, 
But I think she also knows that whatever decision she makes, it's going to affect everyone around her. It's going to affect Belle. It's going to affect her brother, her family's business. Um, inherently, you can see that as her being selfish, uh, and other people can see a different perspective. I think it's a matter of, you know, cultures and blending in, like, ours with theirs. Um, I mean, even the teacher, like... He didn't like where he was from. He wanted. He wants to stay in Thailand now. Um, it's probably the same for Sue. She didn't like where she's from, and she wants to stay in Finland, maybe, like forever. I don't know. Um, it's infuriating, but also like, I understand it. You know, like she's a grown up. She can make her own decisions, but. Um, can she really? You know, they even question that. Like, oh, you're 18, but are you really an adult? Mm, yeah. It's a great scene where they say, like, they keep thinking when I grow up, even though they're grown up, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I like that scene a lot. I was going to say, too, there was a, uh, like, I forget what scene it was, but Sue and Belle are talking, and she Belle tells Sue, like, the world doesn't revolve around her. Yeah, that's another great one. And... I was like, dude, that just hits so hard because it's like, it's almost like she's not selfish. She's like, cares so much about what everyone else thinks and how it's all going to affect them and how she, like, what all their, what everybody's going to do when she leaves. And Belle tells her, like, the world doesn't revolve around her. Like, your dad's noodle shop will be fine. And then even her brother later in the film says, like, she's asking him what he's going to do. And he's like, it's not going to be your problem anymore anyways. And... I just think that's a great, like, way to live your life. Is it everything doesn't revolve around you? Whatever decision you want to make, you should make for yourself. Obviously, it's okay to consider how it's going to affect other people, but at the end of the day, you should always, you know, do what is right for you, and everything else will work out. Yeah, it's a very candid moment from Belle, I think, mm -hmm. where she's. Is that on the beach? Is that on the beach? I want to say no. I want to say it's in a room. After they've made up, yeah. And then Sue's feeling she's reading the book, yeah, her mom's book. Mm -hmm. And then Sue's expressing like, "Do you think people would be upset with me after all this hoopla about me leaving if I didn't leave?" And Belle, even though she cares, she probably wants her to stay the most or as much as like her close family does, like her father. She still makes a point to go like, "The world doesn't revolve around you. You can stay or go. You got to do what you want to do." As, yeah, another point for Belle being best character in the film. Yeah. <laughs> With Sue close second. I, I still really like Sue. Both main characters are really good for me. Yeah, with that being said, should we uh, get to our ratings and then we get into spoilers? Sure. Uh, I'll go first with just this film is so unique, and I, I liked it so much. Uh, this could be a personal bias, but I give it like a 4.5. I really enjoyed it for everything we talked about and everything we're going to talk about in the spoilers, especially especially in the spoilers is something I want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll give it a... I like want to give it a 4.5, but I feel like I have to give it a 4. Uh, I like the slow burn of it. Sometimes that'll like rubbed me the wrong way but I think this one the way they did it in this was perfect and 
just the way it was presented, like that quote we were just talking about, like the world doesn't revolve around you and the the pendulum of, you know, is home where you are or is it a place where you want to be, you know? Um, I think it just encapsulated that feeling perfectly. And the score was amazing. I loved the score. That was so good. That was like probably my favorite aspect of it. Um, but yeah, I give it a four out of five and I'm hyped for the spoilers. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to give the film a, a 3.5. Uh, I really like the lead performances from, uh, Janice Opresert, Asu, and, uh, Preya Suntumfung as Belle. I think they did a really incredible job in their roles. Um, I would have never thought that they were, like, you know, in a girl group or anything like that. Um, I think just some of the emotional scenes that were, like, supposed to be emotional, I felt were kind of just inserted in there, and I didn't feel like there was great build-up for it. Like what you mentioned earlier, Kevin, the... Um, that scene where she, they were picking out the meat and then her father was like upset with her and then he like yeah he wanted to like he was really upset with her and I thought that scene was just a bit much for me I just didn't think the I don't know some of the performances in the movie at certain parts didn't work for me but there were really great like quotable moments you know like how the world doesn't revolve around Sue or like or how she doesn't have a current dream, but maybe she'll find that dream when she moves away. Like, there are plenty of moments. Or even all the scenes with uh, Belle's grandma were my favorite. Um, yeah. When she was reminiscing in her past. That, those scenes were scenes that, like, I want to, like, revisit and think about. Because, man, do I feel like... I could be that person when I get older, you know, and I don't want to be that person, but I feel like at some point we all have something we're going to look back on and think like, dang, you know, when I was 20 years old and I had that whole, you know, I had all these choices in front of me and that just never happened for me. And I just can never not think about it anymore. So right now I'll give it a 3.5. I'm going to give this one a 4.5 out of 5. I thought... The entire pacing of it, I was completely on board with. I didn't even notice the runtime, which doesn't happen usually with me. I have a very short attention span, and I like to pause whenever I'm watching movies from time to time. But with this one, I just watched it all in one sitting, and it felt like the perfect ebb and flow of emotional beats, tied in with score, tied in with character arcs, tied in with just humanity and the indecision of of whether or not a person is able to embrace their freedom and or if they're going to place limits on themselves and the area that exists in between that. I think that that is what this movie is all about is being able to assert the fact that you exist and do what it is that you want to do regardless of how it might affect others. Because if it matters to you that much, then you need to do it. Otherwise, you'll end up like Belle's grandmother, 
who is savoring this lost relic of a memory of something that she was denied because she wasn't able to let go of it. And I think that it's a very good warning. And as we get into spoilers, I'm very, very excited to talk about um, more of my reasoning behind it, but I just found this movie to be so refreshing, especially in terms of, um, I mean, like just our own generation. I, I personally feel like I'm very lost in my generation. I have no idea what it is that I'm doing, where I'm going. I have no idea what the next year is going to look like for myself. I don't know where I'll be. And watching this movie felt very comforting to me because I know that it is not a... I'm not alone in this, in this feeling of having a perpetual existential crisis over what it is that you're supposed to do in life. And each time I have like this own debate with myself, I always come to the same exact conclusion of you just do what it is that you like and be around people who you'd like to be around and share experiences with one another and love yourself and all these things. And there's also this one, um, there's this one passage that uh, I was reading from Letters from a Stoic about Seneca addressing his friend, and he talks about the idea of uh, travel and why it is that people travel to other places. And he basically said that traveling is okay to do as long as you try and, as long as you aren't trying to run away from yourself, because you will always be there, <laughs> regardless of uh, where you choose to go, and you must first conquer and travel every single every single part of your internal self in order to map out who you are as a person before you can truly live in another place and not have to worry about your previous demons or problems chasing after you because I feel like that's what happens to so many people when they do decide to go somewhere else would it have happened with Be I mean with uh, Sue if she I mean you know, with her journey to Finland, would she still be facing the same anxieties and uh, insecurities that she has living in her current hometown? Who knows? But I think that it's important to be aware of that and important to be to be certain that you're doing things for the right reasons rather than uh, embracing distractions. So yeah, this was a very impactful movie and I'm going to be thinking about it for a very long time because it just touches on so many important so many important themes of identity and meaning all right well that with that being said if you got to this point uh and you haven't watched a movie you should definitely watch the movie where we belong um I know right now it was kind of hard for me personally to find a way to watch the movie, but I know um, there's a strategy online where if you have a virtual private network or you have a VPN, you can change your location to Thailand and you can watch the movie on Netflix. Um, so yeah, that's one way to watch the film if you want to be able to watch this to movie. Give up the secret. <laughs> can we distribute it? <laughs> 
Presented by Leaf Home Park. Can we give people the link? No, because, no, we don't want to get sued, and we don't. Wanna, you know. I'd be honored if this guy sued us. I'm not. I'm not a smuggler by any means. But, reach out to me then. <laughs> reach out to Patrick. You'll find his. Uh, I have my copy his, from the library. Yeah. Yeah. I still have it rented. Yeah. You, you can uh, visit our Instagram at Leaf Home um, Podcast. And yeah, email us at layfilmpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments about any of our episodes or any film recommendations. And uh, I know most of our viewers are from iTunes Podcast, so give us reviews and tell us if you like us or tell us if there are some things we need to work on. I hate it. With that being said, um, let's get it right into it. Um, I want to start off with a little excerpt from uh, an article from Nation Thailand that did a really great um, reading into this film. Uh, yeah, there's an excerpt that uh, they spoke with the director, uh, Jodoran Rasmi, where he says that um, it kind of uh, it fits very well with what you said earlier, Kevin about um, how you said you felt like you don't know where you belong in life sometimes, or you feel very lost. And um, I think this director did that on purpose because um, he mentions that, uh, that we do live in a world where we have smartphones in front of us. Here, let me read the quote, actually. He said, this film, it's like his other movies he's made. This is not a complicated plot, but it is portrays everyday life. In this film, Sue is not choosing to study overseas because she wants to find a better place to live. She simply no longer fits at home. When the world, whole world is in front of them on a smartphone, it's tough. Far more, than, more so than it was when I was their age. They always feel like they are not good enough because they see on the social networks that other people of their age seem to be doing a lot better. That makes them disappointed in themselves. Being a teenager is more of a burden now than it was in the past. Hey, this film's extremely contemporary. That's like, yeah. That My whole appreciation of, the, appreciation of the film comes down to that. Like, not even just directly related to smartphones, but that is, that is a huge part of our aspect of modern life. There, but I think there's like a collective psychological burden we're all experiencing that this film just addresses and represents so expertly that it's, I have trouble thinking of other films that have a similar theme, but it's not full nihilist. Like, I don't think this one's nihilist. It's just something about like the individual psychology more so than a nihilistic perspective like films in the past have. And I think I can't think of other films with I haven't seen that many, but I can't think of other ones with the same contemporary message. And the whole film has a transcendent moment. I think I've already referenced it. 
like an hour and 30 minutes in, an hour and 40. It is a bit cookie cutter, and like there's some forced drama. Sue and Belle have the argument, they make up. And there are some deep points, like when they make up, that's one of the deeper points. But then her confrontation with the dad, where he gets like a, like in a soap opera, he gets his hand raised, like he's going to slap her. Then he stops himself. It's a bit like, oh, that's like a story beat. And like, of course, they're going to write that in. But like the second they go to the shaman, the film gets elevated so much where it's like, it surprised me where it got like a vague magical realism or something. And that the director frames it as her mother's spirit does inhabit the shaman and they do make up, make amends and she finds a brief moment of peace. But then 10 minutes later, there's a low drone for like five minutes of a scene, just long takes in a low drone when she's going back to the beat of things and she's realizing the feeling's still there as well as like the, she's, it feels like you're she's able to see now even more clearly after the deception where she's the, the low drones going on. She's talking to Kang and if I'm correct, she just gets up and leaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, and he goes to like grab her hand and like and be her. romantic. Yeah. yeah. And then she just automatically turns it down. And on the second viewing, I picked up something new about Kang and it's just, it's one of those things where he comes out of left field a bit in the story as well as Sue's parallels to her mother, it was like, I had these great ambitions and this bold personality who wanted to travel, but she ended up staying with her dad, who's a bit more of a settler. And then I think it's when Kang's introduced, he's also pro, he's a good student, he's going to go study marine biology, but we're introduced to him training dolphins. And then she even asks, like, what's the secret to training dolphins? And he's like, oh, it's, you just give them their space and you feed them and keep them happy, and soon they'll come to love you. And then a bit later in the film, I felt when Sue's sitting there and he's finally initiating intimacy and all that stuff, he's it feels a bit like she's seeing beyond the veil of like, he's, he's treat, I'm being conditioned. I got, no, I'm not, I'm upset or just, I'm not happy now. And he's pursuing this relationship with me, which is, can be genuine and endearing. He may not even be intentionally doing it, but in a way she could, I took it as she may feel she's being deceived and not accepted like so, like with someone with Belle and she just leaves and then she gets so angsty she lashes out about I'm just going through the whole ending <laughs> go for it yeah. go for it but yeah she lashes out at a young girl we see throughout the whole entirety of the film who's living a bit more of a wild lifestyle and it's revealed her mother who was in an accident or was she terminally ill no, I think she... She was terminally ill. She had the brain scans, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think she brain had scan. a... Yeah. And I think she may have had a DNR or something similar to that where, like, she's gone comatose. She's non-responsive. She signed the paper saying, like, go ahead. If, I, if I'm if i not resuscitate... You can't resuscitate me. Go ahead and donate my organs. And there's even a great endearing scene where the husband and father... He sees the signed documents where the husband, I guess, has to sign off on it. And you're like, oh, she forged my signature. Like, Sue's been trying to do the whole... Like, early on in the film, she's sitting there practicing drawing his handwriting. And it's just like a little thing. And that affected Sue. I assumed it may be cultural differences. But like, it affected Sue so deeply. And that her mother's heart went to this young girl who's now living a party lifestyle. 
and she confronts her about it when she sees her with Belle. They get in a scrape. A guy chases him off. He parks his car and scares him off. And coincidence has it, it's the shaman again. And there's a great... And from then on, the film just... It's like a 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10. And the, like, the moment where the shaman comes back in. Yes. Because... So the one of the other Thai filmmakers that I absolutely adore, is, his name is Apichatong Virkasol. And he's made quite a few movies that have kind of had international success. The first movie that he that really set it off was Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives. And Pat, you mentioned that when the shaman comes in, it gets that sort of magical realism where the mother is somehow channeled into this this uh, this person. We see her there. Exactly. And um, that's such a... It's, it's so weird because as I saw um, this other filmmaker's work... Uh, it's so strange how spiritual Thailand is as a whole in terms of um, being able to talk with the dead and have all these and also make offerings to the spirits and whatnot. Because there's this other movie called Cemetery of Splendor that Apichatong Rupasol made. And that one is about this, um, this woman who is visiting this town and she comes across this hospital where it's all these soldiers who are constantly sleeping and they have brief periods of time where they come where they are where they're awakened but they're also narcoleptic in a way and it's because um there's these spirits that apparently there was a kingdom that used to exist in this hospital where uh, in the spirit world now, the kings are like all still fighting and they're sapping the energy from these soldiers as they're sleeping, which is why they're sleeping all the time. And there's a medium who comes into the movie where she ends up being able to channel one of the soldiers into herself. And the main character and this medium are going along and the main character is saying, oh, well, what do you see here? And it would just be like the hallway inside of a hospital. She's like, oh, well, here is like the king's... Uh, chair and like all these things and nothing none of it is being portrayed in the movie itself we just see the hallway but it's like with this magical realism it gets you to start imagining these things and when the shaman was introduced in this movie that's where i was like oh wait a minute i recognize this because this is this is a very cultural significant thing for for thai people and like how spiritual they are and and even with like having like past lives and everything like that, it's so fascinating. But um, anyways, um, when she comes back, it's like the complete disillusionment of everything that she has known and everything that had convinced her to stay has now just disappeared. It's been peeled back since that first experience with the shaman, slowly peeled back and then... He like explicit, he explicitly tells her almost like the I forget the exact quote, but it's like you told me one time uh, I got to make it work, and there's like a, it feels like forever pause of just him sitting there, and they're in this, they're in this nighttime like, carnival, and there's great mm -hmm. colorful lights around him. He's drinking like a beer. Yeah, he's <laughs> like sitting there in a t-shirt, <laughs> and he's like I forget what his job is, but there's like tools in the van or in the truck bed, and he's just sitting there like he's not even looking at her in the eyes, he's just staring off. I lied, and then in like another ten seconds, thirty seconds, and it cuts back to Sue, where she's just like taking in the information, and like it'll never work. 
And then, yeah, she's... It's just so slow right there, and it's so perfect. And then the hand comes up to the face as, like, just the cold realization of, like... No, her acting is so... I, I think this is their debut for her and Belle. And they're just such exceptional actors already. When it cuts to Belle, I had no idea that she was even still there. But it just, it just amplifies it all the more because here she is, like, trying to help her best friend close out or tie up all of these loose ends in the last week of her staying in her hometown, only to have each time, like, it blow up in their faces and have her blame herself for these altercations. And then finally, when Sue decides that she's going to stay, she realizes that she made the wrong choice, in a way. Or that becomes a little bit more, uh, a little bit more obvious to her, especially just replaying how she tore up the, the signed notice from her dad when he finally caves. Mm-hmm. She just ties it up, or she just tears it up and tosses it out the window because she's so convinced that she's making the right decision of staying in her hometown. And then just the shaman comes in, just like, yep, sorry, I lied to you. It's never going to work. And that scene where she's on the, yes, the ride, the yeah. ride, and the, the piano and, like, the drone is, like, or, no, it's the drone that's kicking in. Yes. And then you just see, like, this... Beautiful this, song. It's like a, yeah, it's like a slow melody, but it's also a droning... It's not meant to be uplifting, but it's like a bittersweet... Yeah, and you track. just see, like, the entire, like passage of emotions register over her face where it's like she's just you could tell that she's on this ride to just not think about anything but even as she's trying her best not to it just creeps in and we watch as all of these thoughts cross her mind potentially and just becomes this almost this helpless look on her face of just wanting to escape but now having no option to be able to do that and it's horrifying. Like, I felt like this movie genuinely played out like a horror movie. Like an existential horror movie. Of like, hey, here's an opportunity for you to get out. Oh, I don't want that anymore. Oh, well, it's gone forever. And now you have to live here. And it was like more horrifying than any other horror movie I've ever seen. <laughs> like, <laughs> when yeah. you put it like that, that's like... Fuck, you're right, dude. It was just like devastating watching it I was just like her like life is like spiraling out of control as she's on this spinning ride yeah I took that whole long scene of the on the ride it's very I, I interpret it as like a contemporary it's it's the representation of modern life like with the distractions the the technological joy, yeah, the slash, music yeah, the stuff made to make you happy or just you're at a carnival it's a carnival of life mm-hmm. but you can't get off but no it's just it's that just the fact she's on a spinning ride and the background's constantly changing and spinning and she's in no control and she's just weeping. It's like a direct insight into Sue's, what she's feeling. It's like a, it's like a representation of her life as well as like a more abstract view of like contemporary life and like the age we live in. That's why I I love the film so much for it. It'd be a, it'd be a far worse film if it wasn't for that, just that scene alone, that shot alone. That scene made the movie. For yes, me. exactly. <laughs> it built to it so well too. Where yeah, again, the last forty minutes, it feels like the film shifts so hard one way, where it goes more like magic realism, happy ending. She's gonna stay home, and then it just goes hard left the other way, and like, no, this is what we're actually saying. And it critiques all of everything before. Yeah, 
And I find that to be so amazing because it, it literally puts it all on its head. Uh, because it's like, here's a problem. What are we going to do about this problem? Oh, well, we're going to seek traditional uh, solutions. It's like, oh, these solutions are great. And then only to find out that, oh, these solutions don't solve anything. <laughs> and then it's like your entire worldview is just shattered. Like, I was in this one um, uh, online philosophy class, and it was like the hardest class I've ever had to take. But it basically talks about how people shape their worldviews. And it deals with, the class dealt with uh, the relationship between philosophy and science and what happens when new scientific findings come into society and how they have an effect on uh, so both society's uh, consciousness as well as the individual in, as well as the individual's consciousness so for example when uh, when um, we all found out that the world is not the center of the universe and you had like um, people such as like Galileo and all these um, very microscopic like scientific figures discovering these things they would often be chastised for these discoveries because what does it do when you don't have a piece that fits inside of your worldview puzzle you either have to make it fit which it will never do or you have to completely disassemble the puzzle and reassemble it and it's like both tasks are so shattering to the ego because they make you feel as if oh what do we do as human beings? We try to find truth. We try to make sense of things. We try to hold on to things that we can depend upon. And as we go to sleep at night or one night and then we wake up the next day, we'd like to be certain that the same things that we look forward to are going to play out the exact same way that they did before. When they don't, that's when problems occur. And this movie has such a unique way of tackling that crisis that comes afterwards. No, it deserves far more recognition, I think. Definitely. I just wish that like we had movies like this in America. <laughs> just never will happen. Well, oh, I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, we I mean, we do, kind like of, but, like, I don't know. Well, just, imagine an American remake. It would never be like this. No. It would absolutely be neutered and watered down. What year was this? 2019. 2019. Last year. I, yeah, I griped I about this a bit before the pod. I'll try not to go into the same details. But like when you look at the Oscar nominations from the same year, there's some very defeatist stuff. Of like, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Green Book won Best Picture. I think everyone's read the takes on that. It's like White Savior stuff. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, it was their favorite, Black Panther... The like Marvel, yeah, made. the Marvel one made it as well, and then the Roma, of course. Where some of those you look at, like the favorite Roma, I I've seen those at least. This could be my bias, even I haven't seen three of those three I named. A Star is Born, Vice. <laughs> a Star is Born. That's another one. That a celebrity vehicle got. No, or maybe it's good. I haven't I, seen that either, so I don't know. I'm just saying, like, is it better than this movie, though? No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't need to see it. <laughs> but yeah, it's like we'll never, well, ever. I don't think I don't ever. Uh, I mean, like, other than like independent filmmakers, like, but it'll never gain like. There may be another renaissance. Yeah. Maybe. Right. That's me being pessimistic. I there will be. I, I, I feel saddened by watching this movie, not just by the story itself, but by the fact that 
even just trying to find information on this movie alone, it was there was next There's to nothing. nothing. Yeah, literally nothing. There was like two websites that I could go on, like yeah. IMDb and then like and it's like Letterboxd. Oh, what if I want to get like a Blu-ray of this movie? Oh, there's never. I I don't think there will ever be a U.S. release for this movie. Yeah. Even Reddit, like normally, even like most movies we watch, you can find like a good amount of like forums on reddit there was like one reddit i think mm, on it and, like there wasn't any even a comment on yeah. on the post oh there's it's, one comment i found one. Oh, was there one, one comment the ending, i think yeah. i think it was one comment though like yeah. there wasn't i think it was just like one yeah i guess my greatest fear with the with my greatest fear when it comes to like movies such as this one is that they will be lost to time forever far sooner than they deserve to be yeah and it makes me think about all of the other lost works that we will never know or hear a word about, and how they're just gone. And I don't want that to happen to this movie. At least, for, like, I at least want to get a Blu-ray on this one because of how good it is. That way, I can share. Yeah, it always like, like even like for us, it was hard to watch it. Like, it wasn't hard to watch it. Like, we obviously found the copy, but like, it was most people find, yeah. aren't like <laughs> savvy with that stuff. <laughs> put and, in like, work. Yeah, we had you just got to work to watch this in America, and it's like. Unfortunately, I'm sure maybe a few people who listen to our podcast will try to watch this movie, but like... Reach out to me. I think it had a yeah. spell on Netflix, but I don't think it lasted long. I th- maybe it didn't... The numbers weren't good enough or something. I want to say that's what happened. But it's not on there now, is it? I haven't been able to check. I, I just Googled and I just know that um, one of the ways to watch it was to change your region. Oh, that may be it. Maybe yeah. So um, different continent Netflix. Yeah. So if you have any problems trying to watch any of these movies, hit up Pat. Yeah, <laughs> Pat's our, our dark our web guy. <laughs> go to our Instagram. Follow us on Instagram, and also, and then you can find uh, Patrick's Instagram on there. You can reach out to him or any of us. We can yes. figure it. We can help you out. Yeah. Just or email us too. We'll, we'll help you find a way. I think this and confessions are probably the two most like toughest to watch. Like to or to, not to, oh, yeah. to, to have to, have to find. Mm-hmm. They go yeah. to a couple libraries. Yeah, the, the disc. Yeah, only only the top recommenders. The best ones are always <laughs> the ones that like you can't find. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I I guess you're right. Like from an analytic point of view, probably won't really get like a hard copy of this film anytime soon, especially like with the way everyone's leaning towards streaming services now mm-hmm. everything's just hitting netflix or amazon or hulu um there's not really a big um demand to get hard copies to get dvds or blu-rays to own something um it might even be just worth it's more it's like more trouble than it's really worth probably for for them um oh yeah print it and all that yeah, but who knows? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe in, like, three decades from now, we'll be able to get it. I mean, um... I mean, like, look at Possession, for example. I was just thinking like, that, yeah. Like, I remember, like, you were telling me about this movie, and I had no idea how to find it. And then, lo and behold, like, after who knows how many years, they finally come out with, like, this collector's edition. This beautifully encased, um, like, just incredibly designed just work of art almost and then you have like possession with like the booklet and you have like all these like behind the scenes things it's like everything that you could want from a fan who loves this movie and now it can live on and i got to watch it because of you and like it's one of my favorite movies of all time now 
And it's like, yeah, we can wait for potentially like three decades for like a collector's edition because of like some weirdo who mm-hmm. like just happened to remember this movie from when it first came out. And they're like, oh, I, I want to, I want a copy of this, so I'm gonna like spearhead this for the whoever knows how many people. But it's like, I do, I do. Um, like, if that does happen, I will be incredibly grateful. <laughs> but at the same time, I just think it's so saddening how just art in general isn't, it does not have the same emphasis or appreciation as it did in, like, let's say, like the Renaissance days, where there were patrons who were going out and, you know, giving artists a mean to, like, survive and to get their work out there. Like, you actually had people going to them for their crafts. And I, I like to think that in an, ideal, in an idealistic world, the arts would just be completely ingrained. Money would never be an issue um, because money, like, wouldn't matter. And people just got to do whatever it is that they liked. And, yeah, we would have a copy of, <laughs> of where we belong on Blu-ray with all the behind-the-scenes featurettes and whatnot. Like, it would just be a given. The pessimist to me thinks a part of it, maybe maybe it's not, but it feels like the message and everything about the film, like, in a way, contrasts to the popular culture. Not as much as, like, Confessions did or other punk media, but it's just... It feels like, the, it feels like a view that people wouldn't want to propagate about, the, like, the aimlessness and the individual pain our modern age has brought to us, and... I, I'm so pessimistic about those who sign off on what gets printed and put on discs and sent to the U.S. that they'd be like, oh, we don't want people asking how to improve the current stuff that's making this feeling arise. We don't want people to, we don't want people to start asking these questions right away. Maybe in 10 years, 20 years, there'll be a group looking back at the way it was before something happened, be it just a better future, like a Kaczynski-esque return to ant primitism or something <laughs> but uh that's yeah that's another reason if i feel this film needs to be watched and i i want to champion its revival well, not revival it's only been a year but i want to champion more people watching it i i was having a i was i overheard a conversation recently where um this person was telling um another to watch uh, I think it's called Moana. Moana. Mm, yes. And the other person was saying, "Oh no, I don't want to watch that because I'm gonna cry." And I was like sitting there, I'm like, "Okay, here you have like a Disney animated movie, the most universal kind of movie you could watch in America today." And here you have another person who is just who who completely turns themselves away from this type of media because they don't want to face up to certain emotions like they're avoidant of experiencing whatever sort of uh feelings might be brought up because of the story and pat like what you're saying when it comes to people you know looking for this type of movie who are interested in discovering or appreciating this perspective i i got to say like Part of me feels like I agree that a lot of people, I'd imagine a lot of people would not want to just go and turn this movie on. Like, oh, it's Friday night. What am I going to do? Oh, I'm going to watch this movie that's going to make me uh, question my entire direction in life. And I feel like it's important to do that, though, because 
one can never be entirely sure of themselves because that's what results in complacency. That's what results in laziness. That's what results in all of these apathetic emotions that allow us to not follow the path that we're wanting to take for ourselves. And I think that to be vigilant of these emotions and to subject ourselves to experiencing a wide variety of emotions, it gets us more in tune with what is going on in the world, with what everyone is fearing, with what everyone is enjoying, with what everyone is wanting to do versus not wanting to do. And it, because I feel like human beings are just always in flux of who they are. And like, even in just the waking world and the dreaming world, it's important to always have this sort of, um, homeostasis and equilibrium. And I, I do worry about that as well, about what is choosing to be printed, what is choosing to be made versus what is choosing not to be made because that is only conditioning us forward. And that is terrifying. You have to have a lot of trust in the people who are making these decisions. Who these people are, I don't, I don't know. But like, obviously there's somebody in that position who's doing that. And also just being cognizant of the fact that, hey, the media that we're engaging with was chosen by someone. Like it was ultimately chosen. I think that that alone, like that, thinking about that should always be paramount to like everything else because you have to always question everything. But I don't know. I'm just rambling at this point. <laughs> Kevin, a, Mar a Marvel movie is going to get best picture within five years and not more than a thousand people have seen this movie in the U.S. <laughs> Let that settle in. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at, at on, Letter so sad. on Letterboxd. There aren't very many um, reviews on it. Uh, there are a total of 65 reviews on Letterboxd. If you guys don't know Letterboxd, you should download the app. It's really great. You'll be able to find a bunch more movies on there, and you'll be able to read um, so many reviews. Um, One thing that I think is... Sorry, I'm just going to sideline. Um, with Letterboxd, my favorite feature... Oh, I have no idea how this has not existed yet, but it actually tells you where to find the movies. Like, there's a little... like It's like, oh, where can I watch this? And then it gives you, like, a whole list of things. That is so beneficial, especially if you're listening to our podcast and you're like, how the hell do I watch all of these weird, obscure movies? You can get Letterboxd, <laughs> create an account, look up these movies, and then find out where to watch them. Some of them, like Memories of Murder and, like, Confessions in this one, you have to do a little bit of digging around yourself in the public libraries. But um, aside from that, Letterboxd does a really great job of assembling information to make it all very user-friendly and easy to use and to also just appreciate movies and also the watch list feature hello that's that's incredible and the lists oh, don't even get me started on the lists all right now it sounds like we're like being paid yeah, by, we're doing by an ad. Where's, our where's our check Girl, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll counteract it right now some of the reviews i saw on letterbox for this film off by miles. I agree. <laughs> I saw some of the reviews as well. Off like by I saw miles. the I saw the one that was claiming this one to be a queer bait one. Yeah, like where it's like intentionally drawing in members from the from and because a, the fact they don't end up in a loving uh, uh, a same sex relationship, the film is worse for it. Yeah, it's like what, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> like, 
<laughs> like, oh, just because your fantasies weren't achieved uh, doesn't yeah, doesn't necessarily like negate this movie's existence. Because they didn't kiss. Yeah, the film shows their deep un their deep unflinching love for each other, and the, the film ends with one crying because the other one's just moved away because that's what she's needed. And it's just such a bittersweet moment. And it's like, how do you take anything else away from the film? Is, well, well you know, for me, like, I didn't, I didn't see them both having unflinching love for each other. I think it was very one-sided from Belle. And she was, um, at that beach scene, she was telling her, like, I don't know how to get closer to you. And then Sue tells her it's not her fault. And it's just like, damn, that's rough. Like, that's 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 like a flaw of Sue, and she's that, that whole scene's her acknowledging that. Of like, I think that the hug is a step in like towards Sue's arc. Like, I think that that is getting her like that's her way of trying to change because she's so hung up on Mew. I don't know what happened between Sue and Mew, but obviously they were closer than Sue and Belle are. However. Because of this trying time in Sue's life, and also just confusion and uncertainty, and Belle sticking by her side, I think that in the long run, it could potentially develop into a very mutual friendship, where it isn't as one-sided as it is being portrayed in this movie. Because I'm very much in agreement with you. The entirety of this movie, it feels almost... It feels... Yeah, it feels one-sided to begin with. Like, right off the bat. But I think that when Sue says, oh, well, I'm sorry that this is the only way that I could show it, is by hugging her on that beach. Like, as the waves are, like, crashing in over them. And even the fact that she's, like, with Belle, like, in the latter portion of the movie, while her grandma is, like, looking out the window still. And she's, like, she goes to hug her grandma because she finally understands. That part got... I didn't cry? Why did you get teared up? That was, like... The most, uh, like... When the touching asks, boob grab. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The legend of Mr. Boob Grab. Well, hey, we oh, aren't yeah. even talking about the spit. <laughs> oh, the kiss? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the grandma and the, and the neighbor kissed yeah. and stuff. Oh, like, yeah. Dude, oh, my God. Whoa. Fortune of a Lady on Fire yeah, did that, too. Exactly. <laughs> that was, like, a very long scene. Yeah. It's like... But I think it was on purpose because she was really fixated on that moment. Like, she really missed it. <laughs> and it's, it felt very voyeuristic because we were yeah. just watching them make out. And, you know, she is just staring out the window, like, reminiscing. So, yeah, that was, like, it felt forever. <laughs> it's a gr- yeah, but it's a great, like, again, back to the Sue and the grandma are similar in that regard. Where, they, where mm-hmm. the grandmas missed this it feels like a cinematic love type story thing. She never pursued it or he just, he never showed up again, but she remembers that now in her old age and where her memory's fading, but she still remembers that moment. And then just something about Sue's at that same crux, that same high point of her life. And she's going to leave. But when she leaves, she goes to Belle's grandmother, which is like another, it's like an endearing thing for Belle as well. Like how much Belle means to her and her family means to her. She goes to her family, her grandmother, and she hugs their grandmother. And it's just a, it's an intimate, close moment. And as Sue's gone, and the grandmother asks, like, where's, where's Sue? She asks Belle that, like, where's Sue? Or, like, now Sue, Sue's presence has entered that impactful memory. Yeah, because she was thinking grand- about, Miss, I think it was Mr. Corn. Is that his name? Mr. Khan? Or Mr. Khan or something yeah. like that, yeah. Which is the thing of, like, 
that moment and those their time together. It's like Belle and Sue's time together, as well as even just Sue hanging out with the grandmas, left such a deep impression on this person with a fading memory. But they still remember Sue. She doesn't know Sue's. She doesn't remember Sue's gone and why she left. But she's like, "Where's Sue? Where's your close friend that you're always hanging out with?" And it's just like one of those sad things, like oh, they. When, like someone has a fading memory and they choose to remember certain sad, not sad things, but your interpretation of what they're remembering gives the context of the, what is now happening, which is Sue's gone. And it's just like another knife in the heart. I remember like, like oh man, this is upsetting me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what happened at the end, like with her looking into that um, trash can? That's where the film takes a cultural shift, I think. I, that's when I'm really pessimistic, I think... Was that where, um... Was that Mew? Was that, that Mew's was not home, Mew. That it was, was, like, the hospital. It yeah, was the girl from the hospital. Isn't that where they were euthanizing animals or something like that? Or, or I, think it, I think this film has a bit of a... Oh, yeah, there was Christian, commentary on that as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's a bit of a Christian-Catholic undertone. Or it's an implied abortion. Yeah, that's what I thought it was, too. By the girl who now has the mother's heart. So Sue's very judgmental of her. And... When she does that, the following scene is her finally confronting that girl, saying, like, why would you stop, was it stop being such a cunt? Or she says some word mm-hmm. like that. Like, you need to live your life better. That's my mother's heart in your st- chest. The reason you're alive is because of her death. And she's like, give my mother her heart back. Yeah, which like, is very much like, it's one of those things where it's a different cultural critique and values that I could see that also clashing with the contemporary Western values and why they would go, like, don't put this movie out yet. Give some time. I wonder if um, even I mean because even in the uh, the shaman scene, the reason why um, Sue is so upset is because she's like, "How can you be my mother? Like you don't like her heart isn't in her or anything anymore." And it's so. I think that's the first time that I've been exposed to that sort of. Um, I guess to that sort of uh, belief that. In order for a person to remain intact, they must have every single part of themselves that they had been given from birth. For instance, like all their vital organs or um, everything that makes them who they are. And the fact that her mom doesn't have a heart inside of her and her vital organs were given to other people, that creates like such a dismembered, disjointed, fractal image of Sue's mom in her head. Like, it's so devastating to Sue because she feels like she lost her mom entirely and that she, her mom only exists in photographs and the books that she's read and the tattoo that she had of home on her shoulder, which is why Sue gets it. Mm -hmm. And you just see, like, this this repetitive pattern going on, like, passed on from the mother to the daughter. And even her dad comments on the fact that Sue is so much like her mother. And, but yeah, like, I just found that to be so unique in how, in how, uh, troubling that was for Sue to accept that her mother died and was, hadn't buried and everything without all of her organs and how she views it as an incomplete burial in a way of sending her off into the afterlife. And I can imagine the sort of weight or, um, that that would have on her as a character as well. Yeah, I think it's vaguely because I think you see her with the boyfriend, and then they leave that same clinic, 
and she's it's a bit telegraphed but she's like she's holding her stomach and in pain and the guy's like trying to reach and she's distraught and the guy's like reassuring her and she's not enjoying it and then yeah we don't see what it is but it's like bloody and rags and it feels like a bit of a critique of not critique but it led me to believe that's what it was yeah i was wondering like why does she stick her hand in there was she trying to what was she trying to grab you know what were they like i don't know i thought i so like needles in there or something? I yeah, yeah, there was definitely a syringe was, in there. Yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's a medical waste bin, yeah. 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 I think she was just so intrigued by it because she probably has never seen that sort of thing. Or it's just a bit of like, what is this person doing with a life given to him in a way from my mother and all that? Yeah, that little bit, like you mentioned earlier, Richie, with uh, the euthanasia. Like, I remember... I That's think after it's, the it's shaman, yeah. And the droning's going on. Yeah, and, like, it's it's right when... Um, yeah, it's it's during that, real, that slow build-up to the realization of Sue recognizing the error of her ways. And she's sitting in the restaurant, and there's now nobody in there besides her family members. And... There's just a newscast going on in the background about some, um, I think it was a Swedish person who was 104 years old and how he was going through with the euthanasia process over there because he realized that he was ready to move on to the next step. And this movie has such a unique way of portraying conviction in spite of what others may, in spite of other clashing opinions, I should say. Because I think that they were talking about like other family members in the movie, like surrounding the Swedish, the Swedish patient. They were they were like combating him on his decision, but he told everyone that he was ready to move on. And I find that so. I think that that's it's almost exalting in a way to be so sure of yourself and to be to just have such strong beliefs that you do what you feel is right. And you see like this 104 person who has it all figured out compared to Sue, who's just turned 18 and she's turned down like one of the biggest opportunities in her life. And also the fact that it's like happening so close to where it was that she was wanting to be, which is in Finland. Like she's, it's just, it makes it all the more bittersweet for her, I'd imagine. Because that could have been her, <laughs> like, like however many years in the future, like she, she could have been on a newscast in Finland. Like, <laughs> yeah, I love the shift. Like, it's the moments like that, right after the certain amount of. It's a bit conventional, like the friend argument, the friend reunion, the tongue-in-cheek jokes, yeah. and then those, suddenly you're getting to the real stuff, like uh, the last forty. Minutes. Th- those parts I didn't really enjoy as much. I thought that it was a bit. Much like how the how the conflict started to rise out of nowhere, I was like, "This makes Sue kind of an asshole." <laughs> I I like the fact that she's an. I mean, I don't. I'm not necessarily like praising her for being an asshole, but I I appreciate the fact of how complicated she is because you can tell that she's not doing it for 
attention or spite. Yeah, or for malicious reasons in general. She's doing it because she's so at odds with herself internally that she doesn't know how to navigate her own external world. Yeah, she was she was a sympathetic character for me. Yeah, I mean, I still sympathize with her. I understand she has a ton of nuances about her that makes me still relate to her. Um, like, she is the conduit that put that friend group together. She's the one who came up with the, the band name. You know, like, she seemed to be tied to so many threads in that community, and I can see why it was extremely tough for her to, like, make that definitive decision to to leave that place. Um, because maybe she wasn't so sure that that is home, but she knows that she wants to make it somewhere else. Um, yeah, and I, th- I think that's the most endearing part about the story for me. Um, yeah, because it's making me think so much about it, about how... I want to leave too, or what happens if I did, or what if I just abandoned everything that I have here, or everything that I have known and just disappear, you know? What if I just went somewhere? I mean, that's basically what she's trying to do by going to Finland, is just um, leaving her life behind, because she said that she doesn't want to come back. And that's really sad. Like, you're not even going to come visit, you're just literally just going to leave. Um... Yeah, it's the same with that man who says, I'm ready to move on to the next life. Like, I'm 104. I know a ton of people don't want him to go. But he's just like, nope, I'm ready. I'm ready to leave. It's basically like her. She's, the moment she's gone, it's like she's as good as dead. Like, she don't exist in their lives anymore. Man. And the the quote from Bell is like, dang, I think it's from Bell. It's like, is life supposed to be this sad? Or like, is life is... Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> I guess so. There's this one um, kind of experimental part that happens after the beach scene, or where, she, where they're both lying down on the beach. And it's playing over like these images of, of the ocean. Oh, yes. And it says, you are not the owner of your own life. You are also not the owner of the breath that goes in and out of your nostrils. Everywhere gives you a sense of familiarity and takes it back. Everyone makes you believe what is right and will turn you away just like you do unto others. This <laughs> this, this part of the movie <laughs> killed me. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it even goes without explaining because it's so... I feel like there's a certain sense of truth to it because of how transitory this entire experience is. It gives you a sense of familiar- familiarity to the point where you can count on distractions. You can count on like this certainness or this false certainty in your own life to where you can, to where it kind of like hides the fact that you're crippled in a way. Like we come into this world crippled by not have, by not owning our bodies and by giving a, a, a death sentence pretty much like right off the bat and if anything by giving by being faced with like such a terrifying realization at the start and then having to figure it out like as we grow up and make sense of it 
I feel like the dwindling time makes it all the more anxiety inducing because we're, because no one's there to tell us like what exactly, I mean, sure people can pressure us into doing things, but ultimately it's up to us if we decide to go through with them or not. And I can imagine that this is the cause of so much stress and worry for a lot of people when it comes to figuring out like even how they want their own room to look like. It's like, oh, what do I put on the walls? It's like, who's going to tell me what I can and what I cannot put up there? Or, oh, I want to go and do this thing right now. Who do I have to ask to be okay with doing this? And I, it almost feels like uh, being a child and having to ask for permission to do certain things. And it's like, once you can get past that kind of traumatizing stage of realizing that, you know, we're all going to die someday, the sooner you can move on to doing the things that you love and not having to worry about what other people think. I mean, there will never, there will never be a time where, where you don't have to worry about what other people think because, I don't know, it's just so a part of the human existence and the human experience to hear other people's opinions and, like, just be connected with humanity as a whole like that. But I feel like it's all in the attempt of trying, of trying not to worry about what other people think that gets us to where we, one step closer at least, to where we want to be. And the more we do that, the closer we can get. I think it's... In our modern age now, I think it's harder to not think about those things because of our smartphones and our social media and stuff. Um, I think it's interesting that we don't really see anyone in the movie like use phones or use any sort mm -hmm. of media like that, other than when they're in the gaming room, they're talking about, like, why is everyone in here... Do they not want to go home? Or with, like, uh, Belle's uh, mom, I think? Mm -hmm. Or is it, Be is it Belle's aunt? I think that was her mom. Yeah, I think it's her mom, like, oh, yeah, they're going to visit her, and Bank she's, like, on her yeah. phone and stuff. Oh, and right, right, right. She has, like, the nice car. Right, like, oh, yeah, anyways. she was, yeah. yeah. You get the small Belle arc, where she's, yeah. But, you know, she doesn't care about any of that material stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, it is... And you know the, the two leads, they're 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 Generation Z, I believe. Like they're born in the two, early two thousands, yeah. so they have a completely different perspective than than we do. Um, but yeah, I think it's totally harder for us to not think about social media now and think about oh, what, what is this person going to think of me and like. Oh, I'm going to make this post, or we're talking about this certain movie, like, what's everyone going to think? Um, everyone's going to critique or, like, judge us for what we watch or don't watch, or, like, what we review or don't review. Or even, like, our, like, our podcast name, like, Lay Film. Like, people are going to think that we're either really pretentious or we're <laughs> making fun of things. <laughs> Which, obviously... Which is exactly what we were going for. We're really pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> Because the next episode we're going to do is The Avengers, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, like, but yeah, go on, Richie. You're, you're, you're hitting a lot of good points. Oh, no, yeah, I mean, I was just saying that um, from the excerpt in that article from Nation Thailand, like, um, they really bring up a good point about how it is harder 
for this day and age for kids and teenagers to grow up because some of them probably held a phone when they were four years old, three years old or something. They were watching YouTube or whatever content creators that they grew up with, like, immediately. For me, I had freaking uh, a Super Nintendo or something or like a... I mean, that's, it's still weird to think we're old enough. We're not that old yet. Yeah. But we're all old enough to, like, I didn't get the internet until junior high. Same. Yeah, same here. Yeah. I didn't get a smartphone. Too. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get a smartphone until last uh, shit junior year. I didn't have a smartphone until junior year. I got one. Yeah, right before you did. Like, well, I got it when I was a sophomore in high school. I had an iPhone actually <laughs> for a little bit. So even even us, and we have these feelings so deeply, and this film resonates. We're still kind of on the outside. Like, we're not even the generation who's brought up with this being the norm. Mm-hmm. Or we don't know anything other than it. Yeah, we don't, yeah. It's so weird. It's so weird to think. (laughs) Yeah, we're we're like a part of the transitory phase. Thinking back on that time of, like, before... It was simpler. Phone, like, a smartphone, it's, like, it's so nostalgic, and it's so, it feels, like, so far out of reach. Like, I'll never have that feeling again. Like, thinking of just, like, living in, like, the 90s, I'm, like, it feels so cool. Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or like um not primal but like it's like we'll we'll never we'll never get back to that ever it's, it's, in humanity and it's like it's like living back then is connected to like the ambivalence of remembering childhood memories it's like yeah i remember having fun playing as a kid and you can't i can't play like that ever again i can't make make believe like that ever again same thing i can't go to hollywood video again and just pick a movie now i sit on netflix and i'm scrolling i'm just looking i spend more time i don't sometimes i'm looking for the movie i don't watch movies i just look at what they have and i'm gonna make dinner now and that was an hour gone we literally spend an hour looking for a movie sometimes sort of yeah like a kid on hollywood video and then me and abby are like all right well i guess we're not watching a movie like fuck it's like yeah it's like a yeah we're yeah, it's like handicapping with the fear of choosing. Yeah, it's scary though. It really is scary. Like, and I hate it because it almost like I feel like it just leaves like no hope, or not no hope, but it's it's debilitating. I don't know. Yeah, just I feel like it's not good for society to just constantly be uh, um, comparing and seeing all these images of what you're supposed to how you're supposed to live and how you're supposed to look and what decisions you're supposed to make what job you're supposed to have yada 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 yeah whereas before like you would only know like what your neighbors are doing or whatever and even then there's problems in that but like now it's just like tenfold yeah but yeah the neighbor could gets a new bike it's not he has a nicer bike than me it's okay we're gonna ride bikes together yeah but now it's on Instagram or Twitter. Facebook, you're like, damn, Jenny's got that new car. Tom's got that new promotion. Mm -hmm. Cassandra's moving to freaking Spain. What the hell am I doing here in Citrus Heights? Person's in LA. (laughs) I'm sitting here aging. That's all I'm doing. It's it's like this one article that I had to do or that I used in like a a write-up. And it's called Keeping Up with the Joneses. And it's like a topic that was like brought up like all throughout even the 50s too. Of, um, mm-hmm. even just neighbors trying to, you know, one up each other in terms of like, oh, well, I got the latest Cadillac. Like, what about you? Or, oh, look at how green my lawn is. Like, it's like, no, it's exactly like what you said. Like, it's like increased, like, 
exponentially like, yeah. insane. Now kids are having it, and their online personas are being juxtaposed with other people's personas. And yeah, it's, it's causing an identity crisis. It's causing a look how many I likes I got. Look how I see many it with like my own family members too, like mm-hmm. my own like nieces and stuff. Like, I see it with myself. <laughs> Dude, yeah, like my little sisters. I remember growing up, like when they were born. Like my sisters had were watch had iPhones in their hands at like two or younger oh, than two. Which is like, I mean, I think it's inevitable to not let your kids have a phone now. Mm-hmm. You can't, you know, keep that away. I mean, you can, but like, <laughs> it's not. That's not going to be easy. I'm sure, you know. So it's like, yeah, because then you have to worry about like other kids making fun of them. Yeah, you got to keep your kid like sheltered from things. everyone. Then Adults if you want to do that, conforming and scary. I got made fun of. They can be made fun of. <laughs> I'm going full Kaczynski if I ever have a kid. <laughs> Their first words aren't mommy or daddy anymore. It's like, Steve. Steve yeah, whatever, Jones. whatever, like, YouTuber they're watching. <laughs> yeah. Watching gamers, like, Tim the Tatman. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. There's a crisis of Hollywood media, but then there's a crisis of online media, which is way worse as well. Yeah. It's much more devolved. Like, <laughs> oh god. I feel like we reached the after dark segment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're just gonna see. Our, yeah, we're gonna start reading industrial society and its consequences. <laughs> What's who's our next pick? You are. Kevin. I I have a Halloween pick. Oh, I was nice. gonna say, are we doing a Halloween? Yep. It's oh, a shit. girl walks home alone at night. Ooh, okay. yeah, I seen that one. Have, has anyone else seen no, that? I haven't oh. seen it. Okay, it's on the Criterion Channel. Nice. So that and the titles, I think this is going to be a good one. Girl Walks Home Alone. Yep. I believe it's her debut film as well. Yep. Not going to say anything else about it. Just go into it cold. I haven't seen it in quite a number of years, so it'll be like going into it for the first time for me. I just remember the aesthetics of it, mm-hmm. and... Okay. I think it's I think it's fitting for for Halloween since it's like literally next yeah. week or like right around the corner. Like <laughs> so it's like a paranormal activity movie. No. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> it's like an Insidious. Annabelle Returns three. No. Um. It's a foreign movie. Okay. I think it's um. I think it's somewhere in the Middle East. Oh shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. But it's a uh, it plays with. No. I'm not gonna say. Anything. I don't want to know more. Yeah. Don't say anything. Stop. <laughs> I'm intrigued enough. I don't think we've watched a film from. The Middle East, yeah. Yeah, no. I don't think we have either. Uh-uh. But yeah, I think that uh, concludes our episode today of where we belong. Uh, Patrick's pick. Yes. I think that uh, this really sparked a really uh, a lot of deep and layered discussions on loneliness and isolation and connection and just finding, just yeah, where we belong in life. Can Can I just say, I would like to equate. Um, the relationship that I feel personally is growing between Sue and Belle, I think that that's occurring with this podcast as well. Like the more and more that we visit and stuff with each other throughout the week, I feel like we're all getting really close. And I don't mean to like draw attention to that, but I'm just saying (laughs) I appreciate it. I appreciate the the unspoken uh, growth that is occurring between all of us. No, yeah, I feel to be completely transparent. Like, uh, Tyler, I don't think me and you talked much at all before this. Yeah, like... We just worked on stuff. Yeah, pretty much. I'd say so for sure. We're definitely way closer now. Or now, yeah, now I feel like a closeness to you that is like... Yeah. That never entered my mind previously. 
I think it was yeah. all like professional or like on like just a pure it's got academic, surface. academic yeah. level yeah. before. Which is cool. Which is super cool. Like I yeah, I like look forward to this every single week. Okay. And uh Yeah, you're right. We are like <laughs> You know, soon enough we'll all be cuddled up on the couch. Like, why can't why can't we just all cuddle and stuff? And then like three weeks later, like we're all like under a blanket, like like it Watch sounds like grill. we're just speaking into one microphone because we are. Like. We got yeah, the, the cushion buffers will go away eventually. Yeah. Like, yeah, let's all bring and show each other our microphones and compare. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Pat, I really loved this pick. I'm really glad you picked it. I'm glad you guys liked it. And I want to reach out again to anyone who has any, even mild curiosity in watching this film, please reach out to me. I will go so far as to personally hand you a physical copy, depending on who you are. (laughs) But if I don't know you that well, or if we're not that good of friends, this will be the test. And I'll just send you a link. <laughs> but I have Kaylee. Kaylee, if you're out there listening to this and you want a copy, I'll bring a thumb drag over. <laughs> that is the Patrick guarantee. <laughs> but no, seriously, reach out. This is a film definitely worth watching. Definitely. All right, y'all. See you next week for our Halloween episode. Spooky season. Thank you.